Gotta get back. Back to TV, Samurai Jack. Whoosh, 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 Today we're talking about Samurai Jack. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, uh, a podcast about storytelling and animation and um, I, I, 70s cinematography. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, <laughs> I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today we are talking about Samurai Jack, uh, two first episodes of the series. The first episode of the original run from ooh, 2001. That's how long it's been. Yee. Um, and the new episode uh, of the fifth season, which is, of course, the sequel series slash revival slash final season slash whatever you want to call it. Um, so two first episodes, which is interesting. Uh, I watched them in the order of the new first episode and then the old first episode, which was an interesting order to watch it. I probably should have done it the other way around. I watched it in the same order. So I think we'll have the <laughs> same perspective on things quite possibly. Uh, it's it's interesting. Did you ever watch Samurai Jack way back in the past? I, wow. Um, I did. I, I was trying to think of how to say this. I'm going to say it both ways. I both didn't like it and didn't appreciate it. I see. Whereas now I think that I appreciate it <laughs> and don't like it. <laughs> Fair. That's that's a f- fair enough. I, um, I personally, these were the first two episodes of Samurai Jack I've ever seen. Oh, really? Wow. Welcome, welcome to the world of Cartoon Network. So, I mean, I was watching Cartoon Network stuff at the time, but Samurai Jack, I don't know what it was about it that when I would watch trailers or previews of it or catch something, I would just say... You know, I'm not really interested. I don't know what it was that flipped the switch of something that seemed interesting or didn't seem interesting, but for me, I was not into it. I just well, I was definitely I was a Gendy Todakovsky fan as a kid, um, at least until until he got known. Um, you liked him before he was popular. I I and. It's not that I think that he's he's bad. I think he's a very talented animator and he tells good stories that lots of people love. I think that at some point as a kid, like what I thought my style was kind of diverged from what Gendy was doing. It's not that his style changed, it's that like what I was interested in changed. And you just realized you were on two different paths? Yes. So really you just couldn't be with him anymore? This is a reference to something. No, I'm just saying. I'm just... Oh. I mean, it's reference to how relationships end eventually. I mean, if one... You realize that you're really on two separate paths. Do you know my ex, Gendy? <laughs> Stylistic ex, not actual ex. We're not saying <laughs> that Mackenzie Worrell has ever been in a relationship. Um, or in the same room, <laughs> slash maybe even the same state as Gendy. <laughs> That's not what we're implying at all. Um, so, I mean, it is, it's very interesting. And um, rewatching these episodes, I, I had a lot of my appreciation grew. I'm like, oh, it's doing this and it's doing this and it's doing this. And like, I know where it's coming from and the stuff that I love about it and its look. And it is very visually refreshing, especially the new season, mm-hmm. partly because technology and time um, and partly because I think budget. Uh, although the first Samurai Jack is, I think, when Cartoon Network started to have money to put into things, unlike in one of our early, 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 very first single-digit episodes of this podcast, when we talked about the Powerpuff Girls, yes, and how they had like three colors to work with at the beginning <laughs> of that show's run. <laughs> Samurai Jack at least starts with a full color spectrum um, and high quality animation, <laughs> right? And I, I think it it uses style to its benefit. And I think that a lot of what's nice about Samurai Jack is the style of it. And it has Mm -hmm. a definitive style. And I think that the style that's created works for something like this. 
And I feel echoes of the Star Wars Clone Wars, not Star Wars The Clone Wars, but Star Wars Clone Wars, um, especially, well, especially in this season. If by echo, oh, you mean in the new season? In the new season. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was going to say, like, I think that they, he basically just made his Clone Wars off of the first Samurai Jack with Star Wars characters, except instead of Jack, we had Mace Windu. Right. Like, same facial expression, same, like, grimace, like, Argh. Same voice. <laughs> I think Phil Lamar... Didn't even put that together. I honestly... Th- I think Phil Lamar... Let me, let me double-check my, um, my work here. I think he was the voice... I think he's the current voice of... Mace Windu. Mace Windu. I feel like... I feel like that's true. I might be wrong. And that just makes sense. And and Mace Windu's just Samurai Jack with superpowers. No, he was Kit Fisto. Oh, which is also... I mean, that his Gendy made Kit Fisto interesting, which is why Kit Fisto is then featured in other things. Right. Because <laughs> he was an interesting character. That's the one thing I can say about the Clone Wars. Actually, two things. Ventress and Kit Fisto. Oh, yeah. Ventress, Ventress was really well done. The character who otherwise doesn't have a canonical introduction in the rest of what's left of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so Gendy is, of course, very visually distinctive. Um, a very interesting animator. And watching the fifth season premiere, I had a thought, um, which I think you agree on, was that it looks like Tarantino made a Mad Max movie using the leftover set and costume pieces from Star Wars. That's, that's what Samurai Jack is stylistically. That's essentially the exact same feeling that I had. I'm like, wow, this feels like a Tarantino movie, but also there's a lot of Road Warrior <laughs> stuff here, <laughs> Fury Road going on. I'm like, I don't know what's exactly happening, but... I feel like yeah. this is, I, I felt like all these things getting put together. And I don't know if you got, if you watched this, but this is something that I found that was, it was pretty funny. It was Jendi talking about the opening scene of the new season of Samurai Jack. And somebody put it, his narration over the actual opening so it's him describing what's happening, going <laughs> over the actual animation. It's like, and then you see the cut to this, and then whoosh, spray, you know, spikes come out, and then, and you just hear him saying the, and I feel like that was really interesting. So I'm going to put that in our show notes so you can watch this video of him narrating <laughs> the that opening That would be Tarantino directing a movie about animation. Yeah. And then he comes in and choo-choo. and then there are more bugs. Chuka, 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 chuka. It was it was really good. So if either Tarantino or Gendy are listening, um, you two should collaborate and make this this movie about being an animator. Um, one thing that I had to take away from watching these these two first episodes is that the new season feels much more. Um, influenced by cinema and the original series feels a lot more influenced by comic books. Mm. And the one thing I may note of that I didn't see in the new season are the Kirby dots, which uh, I don't mean our, our little pink puffball friend from Nintendo. I mean, Jack <laughs> Kirby, the famous, famous, famous comic book illustrator um, who had, and we'll link to it. Of course, the, the Kirby dots or Kirby crackle. It's sometimes called, that represents like cosmic energy and it's so distinctive. You'll see it. You will recognize it as soon as you see it because it's like, Oh, it's that there's a name for that. Good to know. Um, and it, it's in the premiere of season one representing the cosmic energy that represents, that brings Aku back to life and just watch them like, Oh yeah, there's a lot of the Kirby dots in the first Samurai Jack run. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't in the second one. It's less, fantasy 70s sci-fi based more it's it's kind of like the show grew up stylistically with the people who are watching it Mm -hmm. and i wonder if 
that was able to influence the, it's been 13 years or just about 13 years since Samurai Jack has been on TV that it, that they came back. So in 13 years, a lot has happened and a lot has changed in animation and style and film and all of these things. So 13 years worth of influence to then return to something of course, hopefully it would feel and look different. Yeah. Because of everything that's had a chance to work on culture and what people are expecting from something now. Well, it's kind of, I think there's just two things I want to talk about, two big concepts I want to talk about that aren't specific to either episode necessarily. And the first thing is, I think to get into the, the meat of what you're talking about, um, what do we love about Samurai Jack in the first place? Thinking about the original run, or at least what you know of the original run, having not seen it before, like what do you love about Samurai Jack or what do you think people love about Samurai Jack that makes it so distinctive? Well, watching, I, I did, after I watched the new episode, I watched, I think the final episode, which was Jack and the baby, something like that. Yeah, I don't think it was written as a final episode though. I think it just kind of happened ended up being the final episode and i think there were i watched a couple other ones here and there i think people like samurai it's something mm -hmm. that ha people have That's always been time yeah people have always been interested in that um i know that i love swords so anytime <laughs> you could have a sword in something you have that's a win i i think uh, so I think Samurai Jack was something that had a lot of action, but also had a little bit of cartoon goofiness in there. So it was the best of best of that. And I think people like the tone and the, the pacing of it. it, it it's something that was exciting and silly, but also action based. It's it's like a, a 70s genre movie meets like Dragon Ball Z in its pacing for me. Mm -hmm. If like things are a lot about the tension before a fight, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of build up. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, f I think for me, it's a lot of the the mishmash of the aesthetics and how original and unique that was at the time because it was a little bit comic booky it was samurai it was sci-fi it had like these weird 70s b-movie sound design going for with the it was like if you if you if samurai jack were a musician it would be kanye west in sampling like the sound design of <laughs> movies before it um, if you took all the sound effects out of like Logan's run in a space odyssey and put those in a cartoon, it'd be Samurai Jack. Mm -hmm. and, the, um, and then getting the sci-fi aspect in there of a samurai trapped in the future. So you get robots and cyborgs and lots of things that he gets to battle that a samurai doesn't normally get to battle. And then the, yes. the magic of a magic sword and the hero's journey of him fighting all this stuff. So it just gets to be cool. You get the benefit of future stuff and the benefit of a samurai and able to play around with that. So there's fun. It's like the same fun as Batman versus Superman. Yeah, Batman just has no superpowers into these tools, and that's what Samurai Jack is, and versus the unbounded power of Superman being all this crazy technology in the future. Like you think Batman has no chance, but he wins usually. Usually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's there. And of course I, I would be remiss without saying that Mako was a big part of this show. Mako of course being the voice actor for Haku in the original run and Mako having that very distinctive voice from, Oh, what is he else is he known for? Of course, Avatar, the last airbender. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also Splinter in the, I guess not the latest, but the TMNT that came out. Mm. Um, but that's around when they were making that, that's when he passed away. 
And what's interesting is the actor that they got to replace him as Splinter to do a good impression of him doing Splinter is the person who's now replaced him on Samurai Jack. Hmm. Because they're like, oh, he's <laughs> he apparently can sound legitimately like him. So let's get him let's for him. Samurai Jack. And Mako is such a distinctive part of Samurai Jack in the original run, just because like that's the voice you think of. I couldn't picture Jack's voice. I could only remember Haku's voice. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, when one of the most distinctive parts of your show and main actors uh, dies, like, what do you do with that? Can you make a sequel? So there's all that stuff we love about Samurai Jack. And then why make a new season? Why make a sequel, especially 13 years later? Like, what what is there to tell now that there wasn't before? Mm-hmm. And I know that they had been trying to, at some point, make a movie or try to complete the story at some point. And I guess the timing was right where they were able to tell the story that they wanted to. And part of what's interesting is the original run was on Cartoon Network. Now, it's on Adult Swim. Which is still Cartoon Network, but later at night. But later at night. So what is the difference of the story that you can tell when you're a Cartoon Network show versus an Adult Swim show? Sometimes not much. You're right. Um, <laughs> that's that's a true statement. Uh, Cartoon Network has definitely been trending, I think, a little bit younger in their daytime audience, especially recently. So this story doesn't feel that much more elevated in terms of its adult nature compared to the original Samurai Jack, but there's... A, I mean, this this blood, um, that's new mm-hmm. for the most part. There was some blood before, but it's very subtle. It didn't... The one thing that I noticed personally watching them back-to-back the first episode of the fifth season of the first episode ever is that the first episodes in the early in the original run felt a little silly. And, and there are certainly silly episodes in it. But this first episode sets you up as being a lot darker. And the silliness that it tries for, I think, is where it falls flat for me. I would agree on that. We'll get to that. Yes. Because I have a, a, I have a big rant coming. Yeah. We'll, Huge rant. We'll, we'll talk about it because it's something that drew me out of the episode. But Yes. I, um, I think possibly for different reasons, but <laughs> we will discuss that definitely. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, what I was going to say is one of my, well, I didn't like Samurai Jack very much as a kid. And I mean, obviously I still am not in love with it, but I appreciate it now. Um, the most memorable episode for me from the original run, and I didn't see all of it, but one of the most memorable ones. And I think some of the best storytelling on Cartoon Network at the time, and I forget the name of it was Jack and the Chicken or Jack the Chicken, something like that. It's just an 11-minute episode where Jack has turned into a chicken. That's the plot of this episode of Samurai Jack, and you can guess what happens from there. It is not a serious episode at all. It's completely different than the tone of the new season. It's completely different from the tone of most of the original run. And that might be why I like it better. It's certainly different than the rest of Samurai Jack. And I think anytime you have a show that's so built on concept and, and Samurai Jack is built on a concept. Here's somebody who's trained all his life to be a hero against a terrible villain. And that's what we see in the very, very first episode is him training with all the different masters from all the different cultures So he's becoming a well-rounded person. He's not just a great samurai, but he has knowledge and training from pretty much every culture from, you know, the Egyptians and Buddhists and everywhere he's getting knowledge from everyone. Yeah. He does this, this lap around Europe and Asia and the Middle East of very distinctive cultures. And then one generically African place. 
And then he, to have this character go up against evil and end up in the future, that's a high concept. And you can either take that seriously at face value. Oh, it's a samurai in the future battling robots and things. Or you can be silly with it. Or you can make a comment on both of those things and actually say something about now, somehow with a samurai in the future. <laughs> I don't know how you do it with that particular concept. But taking that concept, you're either take it at face value and be completely serious, which I don't think, which I think they try to do in the new season. Is mm-hmm. let's take let's take ourselves seriously. We have a samurai in the future. What does this look like? And he's battling somebody who's legitimately evil. Let's take that at face value. And I think the old show, they're like, well, let's see how silly we can. Well, not silly, but let's see how we can play with this idea and what kind of crazy things happen that we can do about what's funny about a samurai against robots. Yeah. We're done with dark and gritty reboots. Now we do dark and gritty sequels. That's the new thing. Right. And let's make it take place 50 years in the future from where we left off. So we could legitimately say that story has happened and that gives us a reason for being darker. And they, so much of that time jump is done so well, at least having listened to the first episode of the new season, like they justify the absence of Haku and not having very much Mako impersonation at all. Um, and instead this weird, like cult of Haku has sprung up. Um, and they're training these warriors to go after Jack, these seven daughters um, and having watched the new episode versus then the original episode, why I thought that was a bad order is because then seeing the parallels in the new season premiere versus the series premiere of Ashi's training montage versus Jack's training montage. And then also like I vaguely knew in Jack's vision, those were his parents, but I didn't quite remember where that <laughs> fit in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and here, here's why I f- felt like I didn't need the first episode to understand Samurai Jack. So, and I'm going to go back to Tarantino for just a quick second. So I'm a person who saw Kill Bill Volume 2 first. <laughs> um, a couple of friends were like, hey, let's go see this movie. I'm like, I haven't seen the first one. And they said, it doesn't matter. You'll be fine. We should go see it. And so I saw volume two first and I had a thoroughly um, exciting and great time. I loved it. And they were all remarkably disappointed by it because they were expecting this exact sequel, the exact same stuff that happens in the first one in the second one. And me coming in with zero expectations was like, here's a story that's told really interestingly, and it was it's able to sit on its own, and it gave me enough of the backstory that I didn't feel like I missed anything. I just realized that I'm at the tail end of a story, and it was so complete on its own. So for me, the Tarantino callbacks in terms of the cinematography of the new season of Samurai Jack feels very Tarantino in that essence as we said before, but also it gave me enough that I didn't need the original series to know what was going on. The storytelling was enough that if this is your first indication of Samurai Jack, you have an idea of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe if it had been double the length, they may have been able to fill in a couple of more blanks. But being what it was, it gave me enough of, oh, he had a magic sword. What happened to your magic sword? And then we see him, you know, just a one-off little flashback of him losing his sword. It's like, oh, I don't need a huge explanation. Maybe that's going to come up later on. Maybe it doesn't. But this episode stands on its own. And that's one thing that I was really surprised by is how much that episode stood on its own as its own piece. And I was really excited glad about that and it's so much about aesthetic and 
how that works in the world of Samurai Jack. Um, so it stands on its own plot-wise. You don't need a lot of introduction to get the aesthetic and what they're going for. Like it, Here are the references that it makes. Cool, you understand what they're doing. Um, and the first fight is just, it's choreographed so well, and it says so much about the characters and the world with like the weird robot bugs and the spiked motorcycle and the emoji aliens like that. It gives you everything you need to know. It's a perfect introduction. (laughs) And the one thing that I got about that is it felt to me. And the reason why I was like, I got feelings of star Wars is because, you know, star Wars, clone wars in that episode, in those episodes, the 2d animated series that Jendi did, it felt like, Super battle droids surrounding Mace Windu, and then Mace Windu being super powered enough to take out everybody all at once. Mm-hmm. And so you get this hyper realism, super powered person who supposedly is normal bodied, but is able to take out hundreds of robots in this. And I, there's one very specific episode that I'm remembering of the of Star Wars Clone Wars where he's surrounded by all these super battle droids in an impossible scenario and able to come out kicking butt and taking names and ending up successful, blowing up 10 at a time, 20 at a time, and doing something that would be completely impossible in the world of, you know, one, Star Wars, and two, in reality. But it... That's why yeah. it rang for me like, oh, we're going back to something like this. We're showing how superpowered this person is by giving an impossible situation right off the bat and having him become victorious at it. And I think that that works in the world of Samurai Jack, especially in the new season, mm-hmm. with destroying everything so quickly. I don't think that worked in Clone Wars, but that's neither here nor there. Right. I... And I think because this is Clone Wars was coming off of something live action that existed before that we saw the rules of to see that be super powered, I think lost a little bit of something, but coming off of Samurai Jack and what was established, I think it works. Yeah. I do think it works. I agree. I think that it showed how much has changed in the 50 years too, because it was such a kick butt way of introducing Jack again to the world versus like his especially more personal much smaller battles which are still cool in the first series and at the beginning especially but he's grown a lot and his skill has changed right and the fact that he has guns and a motorcycle tells you right away something has changed Samurai Jack now has you know a Fury Road motorcycle with spikes in the wheels to take down robots. And I, I liked that the, he was trying to ignore the smoke from the village in the distance for a lot of the episode. And it was so anti original Jack. You see that emotional change as well. And even the villain taunts him for it. Like I was waiting days for you to get here. I torched this a while ago. Come on. Which I think was the best part of that villain where we see, look, I destroyed this whole village just to get your attention and you didn't show up. I hated the villain, but yeah. I like that one part yeah. about the villain. I can I get on my soapbox now. I would uh, love for you to here. Okay. Let's talk about when something is a stereotype children. Um, when you combine a number of things, into one character that are plot driven, that becomes a stereotype. When you do one thing that focuses in on who that character is, that's not a stereotype. So what I'm talking about here is of course this this villain of this season five, episode one of Samurai Jack, um, is for some reason already got this weird Paul Lind voice, well, aka it's... Center Square. It's it's but it's also Sammy Davis Jr. It's a bad Sammy Davis Jr. Um, impression as well. I got it as bad Paul Lind impression. I got it as 
baby. I got it as uh, somebody doing an impression of Billy Crystal doing an impression of Sammy Davis Jr. Okay, so some kind of mishmash of this in there. But yeah. I'm specifically quoting Paul Lynn for a reason. Go on. Um, so Paul Lynn being center square was famously, famously gay while not being out. And that was the whole shtick. He could get away with saying things on this game show of Hollywood Squares that no one else could get away with, even though he wasn't out, but he could say things um, that were cheeky and a little bit kind of on the queer side. And he got away with it. And this robot villain has this weird knockoff Paul Lynn slash Sammy Davis Jr. voice and also has like high heel lace up bright red boots and at one point tells Jack, whip it out. No, no, you know what I mean. And so for some reason we have this gay robot who's the villain um, and it doesn't seem to say anything about his character or who he is. So it's just kind of, it's not portraying queer people as evil necessarily it's just like unnecessarily there it's like showing stereotypes equals personality and that's not how that equation works and my counterpoint to this is the powerpuff girl villain him who is also very androgynous in dress and very queer but that's about who him is him is something unnameable something that can't be said him is something terrifying that all the adults are scared of and can't talk about and that works in Powerpuff Girls. Um, and I don't think it works in this episode at all. But Samurai Jack has, I think, a history of being problematic as well. Um, as seen in the series premiere when he's going on his world tour and goes to the generically African place. And the African people are literally drawn with black. I mean, all the other skin tones that he encounters are correct. And for some reason, the people in Africa are just, they're actually like a black color of ink. Mm-hmm. So there's this problematic points and I was thinking a lot about like why I was so angry at this villain in the new episode and it's, it doesn't go towards any purpose. Mm-hmm. Not character wise, not plot wise. It's just stereotype to be there to give the illusion of personality. Mm-hmm. And I'm also celebrating him, which Gendy had a supervising producer role on Powerpuff Girls. So I'm giving some credit for him to Gendy as well. I'm not comparing two things that he didn't work on. I'm comparing two things he did work on. Right. Now, I... And, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's soapbox away. <laughs> I I was just not with the villain because I felt like it was annoying. Personally, to me. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And I think it's it was trying to be some sort of generic silliness without being grounded in the world that we'd already been established. Personally, to me, not feeling that same thing. I just, as I said, I heard an impression of Billy Crystal doing an impression of Savvy Davis Jr. That's what I heard. And that was just like, why? Why is it like this? Why? Mm -hmm. And I liked the cavalier nature of the villain being somebody who doesn't really care about huge amount of evil that they've done in terms of decimating a city and everyone who was in it just to get Jack's attention. But there was something about the characterization that was like, I don't think this fits or adds. That's exactly it. I liked, I liked what the character did plot wise. I like the character with like with the actual things that happen. I don't like the characterization mm-hmm. because it doesn't add anything. Right. And I'm not saying characterization has to add something, but in this case where it can be problematic, it's not adding anything at all. So there's many reasons to drop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I agree. And there's a lot of aesthetic that I, I like about this. It's not like I think that this show explicitly like was developed as an episode and there's nothing redeeming about it. It's it's there's lots of good stuff in this premiere. Um, stylistically and aesthetically, and it's just this this portion of it really, really bothers me. Would hmm. Well, let me ask. And I know. You, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, please. I was just going to say. I know that. I mean, obviously, based on the episode, the plot of it, this character won't be in the rest of the show. 
And I don't think that they're setting out to put a character like this in every episode. I just, yeah. Yeah. I know that's, that's not a danger of, if I continue to watch the show that I would run into more of that. It's a one-off. Right. Well, let me ask this. Cause you saying that based on this episode, would you watch episode two of the new season? No, but it's it's not because of the quality of this episode. I think it's very well done. It's a pleasure to look at. It is a delight. Um, I think there's a lot, lots to get out of it animation-wise and art-wise. Um, but I think that overall, just the aesthetic doesn't speak to me in the way it does for other people. Mm. It's not my style. I'm not saying it's bad, except for the one character. It's <laughs> right. not bad. Um but it's it's not different enough from the original run for me to watch it. And I think that's the point. Like, it's not made for me to be different and for me to like Samurai Jack now. It's made to be more of the same for people like Samurai Jack to continue with that experience. Yeah, updated enough knowing that the people who watched it back then have also grown in some way. Yes. Would you continue to watch? Well, I after watching that, I watched about four episodes of the original run. Um, which I wasn't into. So I don't know why I kept watching. <laughs> I, was, I was, I don't know what I was expecting when I went back. It was like, okay, let's, I'm like, I'm not really hip to this. I wasn't hip to the original. Um, it, I think I'm interested in the villains that it sets up in terms of the daughters of Aku. I'm interested yes. in them as a quasi Asajj Ventress kind of what, what there are seven Asajj Ventresses. <laughs> Like that's what I'm excited about. Seven Asajj Ventresses. Like I'm excited it about. It be Ashy. I know, but I'm excited about them as villains, and I always find it interesting when they have. And I I want this to sound good, but it probably will not. I like dangerous, powerful women. <laughs> in in something. You like strong female characters. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's what I mean. If You're we welcome. thank you. Um, the one thing that also I do find problematic, and it's nothing against Phil Lamar, because I think Phil Lamar does a really good job. And I think this is something that we talked about when we talked about our minority report episode about people of minority races being represented in TV and animation and film animation is sure, yes, this character is a samurai. He is Asian. But he's voiced by somebody who is not. <laughs> now, he's voiced by somebody who's African-American, so it's great that Phil Lamar is getting work and doing good voice work. But also, we, we I know that there is, in especially in theater nowadays, there's a big push against what they call yellow face, which is people playing Asian mm-hmm. characters who are not Asian. I mean, we're, we have Ghost in the Shell coming out on theaters. We had Doctor Strange and that whole thing. We have Iron Fist. So it's mm-hmm. really big in live action right now, a pushback against this idea of yellow face. And I think we said last time about yellow voice. <laughs> Somebody voicing a character of a race that you are not and whether that is problematic in the year 2017. And I love that voice actors by their nature are wholly versatile people. So you could have one person voice an entire cast and essentially talk to him or herself. Like I'm sure that Tress McNeil could do a movie just (laughs) herself and have it be wonderful. And that's the nature of great voice actors is they're able to embody so many different characters. But is there something about in 2017, an Asian character voiced by an African-American man, is there something that's problematic in nature with that? With voice acting, and I'm not sure where I fell in our original Minority Report, but it was probably the same opinion. I don't think that it's 
I think it's better to get someone of the same race as a character. I don't think it's necessarily problematic mm-hmm. to not do that. Um, but what I think is problematic is... I don't know if this is Phil's choice or Gendy's choice. It's the the accent that is used for Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and part I, I partly see where they're going from. Like in the training montage in the series premiere um, of Jack going around the world, it's about encountering all these different cultures with him as a child that seems so different and focusing on the differences not for a bad reason, but to see like how varied and diverse and wonderful this world is while some of those representations are problematic um, to immediately then transition into the rest of the series where he's in the future, seeing all these different and wonderful and diverse aliens that now inhabit the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's showing that it's just as diverse now as it is in this fantasy show about a samurai in a future earth with these all kinds of insane aliens and robots. And I see what they're going for. And I appreciate that. This is part of me appreciating Samurai Jack now and learning to appreciate that. I see that. I appreciate it. Um, there's some cultural tourism in it. Sure. But I, I do think that if in this year, if now, we can't, if we're not asking those questions and making a decision based on those questions, I think that we're poorer for it. We, I don't think we can take anything at face value. Voice as, value. Or voice value at this point. I think if you're making a decision based on, if let's say we were making Samurai Jack now, mm-hmm. and we said, okay, great, it's this character. And then they cast... Phil Lamar is the actor to do a accented Asian character. I think if Samurai Jack was starting now, I think there would be pushback against it. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so because we see the same thing happen on other shows. We have a lot of love for Simpsons, Futurama, things like that. You see the same thing of having, here's our voice cast. Okay. Can you do this voice? Can you do this voice? Can you do this voice? Great. We're going to do that. Well, I do have a little bit of issues with, and I said it in Minority Report, of Billy West doing his Asian accents. And As I, Amy's dad? Yes, I do have, yeah. I do take some issue with that. Yes, and when they, for me, it makes it slightly better, slightly better, because they comment on it usually and bring attention to, like, why this is a stereotype and why it's bad and why this is a hyper, hyper real version mm-hmm. of the world. Um, so a question for you as a follow-up because not thinking new Samurai Jack, because this is sequel Samurai Jack, would you have changed the voice of Samurai Jack if you were directing the sequel season or is the voice of Jack as Phil Lamar so distinctive that you wouldn't change it? I wouldn't change it. If you're, if you're, if, as I was saying, if it were not a sequel, it's a question you have to ask since it is a sequel. The question is, well, is Philomar busy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's the question you, you have to answer at this point because you're recreating something and you want to get it as close to the original as you can. So that's the difference between doing sequel than doing gritty reboot. If we were doing gritty reboot, I think we'd have to start looking at Asian actors to do something. And then the question is, do we have that Asian actor do an accent? And why? Especially because why? this is set in the world of, of Jack and Jack's hometown slash country. I wasn't sure if Jack's dad was emperor of Japan or emperor of their town. I couldn't figure it out. I feel like town, but. <laughs> um, because it's set in Jack's world, from his perspective, no one would have an accent. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. Like what? I don't know that the show needed an accent. Yeah, because you just see people auditioning. Okay, so we're we're doing this. He's a samurai. 
um, could you try it? And then having somebody do the accent, or, you know, do a voice and say, great, great, that was wonderful. Could you try it with an accent? And then knowing that they want you to do the, the Japanese accent and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, goodness. Like, yeah. So it's a it's a conversation uh, that either the creators have to have with themselves now, because I think people are more. This sound this is possibly the wrong word, but I think they're more demanding of authenticity or of opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put a character of a certain race or a certain gender or a certain um, identity on screen, you have to answer, how is that being portrayed? And why am I making this specific decision? Because if the, if the answer is because it's cool, I don't know if that's enough now. Yeah. I don't think it's enough. Well, would it be cool if we did this? And some people can get away with that more because we've been talking about Tarantino so much. Tarantino does get away with a lot of that. He really does. Like a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. Because that's where he's coming from, and he's more clearly attached to those um, origins of his aesthetic. And Samurai Jack, because it's um, a cartoon show, can't be as attached to those origins. So I don't think you can get away with like, oh, this is about a samurai guy with an accent because that's what it is. It's it's like a 70s samurai exploitation film. Mm-hmm. Um, but you aren't going to have people who know that and where that's coming from. So it's it's the, the degree of separation, I think, that, that harms it. Yeah. So I think I will watch the next episode, at least. It got me enough to, like I said, watch about four episodes of the original series. <laughs> so I'm interested enough to, to take a look to see where they go. Yeah. Watch more and watch Jack the Chicken. I will watch Jack the Chicken. I'll make a make a note to do that. So did you have a favorite thing from either of those two episodes? I love the opening of the new episode. I love, 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 love it. It's so pretty. It's so well done. It is such a callback to cinema. Um, and it's such an evolution of the style of the original series. And it's both satisfyingly different and satisfyingly the same at the same time. Mm. My my favorite thing happens in the middle of that, which is where this unknown character who's kicking butt gets his mask, his samurai mask cut, and then you see that it's actually Jack, and you have the emoji. <gasps> what? And you have the emoji aliens, like Jack? Question mark. <laughs> which was satisfying on itself, saying like, "Oh, he's been gone, or he's changed enough that no one can recognize him. No one knows what happened to him." So it mm -hmm. creates mystery and reveal. It's not a surprising reveal that this is Jack, you know, but it's the it's the character's reaction, the emoji aliens <laughs> reaction to Jack that sold it for me. Yeah. So I think that's my favorite so much moment. Well done. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. That's a masterwork. If you are an animator, unlike us, we are storytellers, not animators. But if you're an animator, you should watch like the first sequence of the show just to like see the beauty that it is and then after you watch it that way like i said we'll post the version where you hear <laughs> jenny tartakovsky going through and narrating the what happens the big bug hits the bug boom spikes it's so satisfying in a ridiculous way <laughs> So that having said about Samurai Jack, do you have any, um, uh, should we talk about homework time? Let's do it. Homework time. For your homework time, this is something that's a little different than Samurai Jack. It's a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little different. Um, there is a new TV series a new live action ish show called imaginary Mary. That's just coming out on ABC. Um, and I think it's in the same vein as son of Zorn and Wilfred and like 
look at this this crazy friend who's not human and no one else sees. Right. So we have somebody who's sees their old anim not animated <laughs> imaginary friend <laughs> who is CG animated and voiced by Rachel Dratch. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, how- Rachel Dratch alone. How this animated character fits into the story, I'm interested to see. Hopefully, it's better than Son of Zorn, I'm hoping. But it, it seems like it takes itself a little bit more seriously and trying to be more earnest. But it is an ABC show, so we'll see. I'm excited. Yeah. I want to yeah, check it I'm out. I'm excited as well. We're, so, we're going to check it out together. That's that's your homework, Imaginary Mary, episode one. Today, and as always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Catch us on the web, on Twitter, at WGAnimated, Facebook.com slash WGAnimated, and find the show notes and all the links to all the things that we are going to give you, all the lovely goodies, especially, like I said... The first opening scene with Jenny Tartakovsky doing sound effects for the openings of the newest episode of Samurai Jack on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. And if you got to get back, back to the past, you can listen to our entire archive of podcast episodes um, right now. If you love this episode or maybe you disagree with us and you're a first time listener, that's cool. We like disagreement. Tweet at us. Listen to our old shows. Find out our our own aesthetic. Um, yeah. That was my gotta get back. Gotta get back. Back to the past. Back to the past. Good night, everybody. <laughs>